Hello and Happy New Year! It is now 2024 and Books in the Biz is back for season two. Rich, can you believe it? We are going yeah. for season two. <laughs> Unreal. A couple of fools that uh, have no business doing this. Let's just be honest with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we got 20 some seasons under our belt the first time. And as, as many of you noticed, while we've continued to make improvements, uh, I don't know about you, Rich, but I have no intention to become a professional podcaster. I think uh, our goal here is to provide good information, hopefully make some people aware of some things going on or maybe what they can do within their business to to really kind of help it help it grow or help fix some some issues that are going on. But um, we're not looking to monetize this in any way. And uh, hopefully we do get more listeners. We would love to see more people listen or watch it. But we're going to kind of keep this organic. Uh, also, another thing we should announce for season two is we're going to start interviewing guests. In fact, we have two guests uh, coming out of the gate right away. So this will, after this episode, you're going to get four more episodes, uh, two guests in two parts, I guess, if you could say. Um, we're going to be talking with different people in the industries. First one's going to be about cryptocurrency and, and blockchain and all that fun stuff. And um, I, I think that's where we're going to show our age a little bit, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking with somebody who is decidedly younger than we were and a lot more versed in, in crypto than we are. So um, if, if we look like people with uh, or deer in headlights, then that so be it. That'll be it. Um, another one, we're talking actually with another podcaster as well who uh, works in the automotive industry, and they are going to be um, sharing with us maybe a little bit about what we need to learn about technicians and, and auto dealerships and what's going on in their world, uh, because there's some good parallels with a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about here over the, the past year. Uh, Rich, do you have anything to add to that? No, I'm excited because uh, I think the listeners are really going to enjoy the, the, you know, not only the things that we have been coming up with because people are saying that, you know, we're hitting the nail on the head with what's going on out there and to have some interesting new perspectives is, is it's really cool. People are really going to enjoy it. And I don't think it has to be, you know, a, um, you know, professional podcast to get the information that you need out of it. So I'm right on the, I'm right on the target with you there. Yeah. I think it's a little more entertaining if we're just including some of our goof ups and whatnot, you know, like I said, no intention to become a professional podcaster, but Hey, as long as we can have some fun doing this, let's do so. So let's get rolling because we've got, uh, we want to buzz through this fairly quickly. So if you probably saw the posting on it, we are actually going to be talking about the top 10 stories for 2023. And I would kind of Broach this by saying it's not only stories as people or as people in those stories. So yeah. um, some of the things here, there's certain people on this list. For example, we got a picture of Elon Musk on here. I, I don't know if you can encompass him in one story that really made a big impact because I believe there were several things that uh, Elon Musk has done. Uh, we also have a picture of Sam Bankman-Fried on here. We have a picture of Budweiser on, on this. So uh, you... You'll get to learn a little bit about what's going on in our head as we're talking about some of these stories. But you ready to kick it off? Kick it. <laughs> All right. Now, I will say I put together the slideshow. Rich, you have no idea what order these are in. And I took a complete shot from 10 to 1 
of what I thought was important. So you can shoot me down and say, nah, this should have been number one. But we'll go there. And by the way, if there's anything you guys see that you disagree with or you think we should have covered, let us know. We can always cover it in a later episode. We'd be happy to do that. But let's get started. So number one, first of all, again, technology fails me every time. Here we go. Number 10. Rich, here's the reason why I included this. This is my logic. I know nothing about this. <laughs> I couldn't even begin to comment until you share with me what this story is all about. So take it away. Well, I think in everything that we talked about from a lot of our previous episodes, we were constantly talking about the status of the workforce in the U.S. And I grew up, you know, my initial job was with the big four. Um, so when and to you be talk clear, about, for those who aren't familiar with what the big four is in non-accounting terms, what what is the big four? Uh, the fourth, the four largest accounting and consulting firms across the entire globe. So that is always referred when I was there it was the big six and they came down to big four because Ian Y was, it used to be Ernst and Ernst and uh, Arthur Young and they merged way back, way back when. I'm really aging myself now, Dan. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> well, what are some of the other ones that would be in, included in that list? Is um, Deloitte one of them? Deloitte is one of them. Okay. Deloitte was one of the ones that went from, I guess, eight down to six. So Deloitte was, you know, there used to be eight, then it went to six, then it went to five, then it went to four. Um, so, you know, way back when you included things like, you know, companies like Arthur Anderson that, you know, got in trouble for Enron. Um, then you had Deloitte, you had um, KPMG, Pricewaterhouse became PricewaterhouseCoopers. That was two of them there. So, you know, the thing was, I came out of that world. That's where I started my career. You never heard about them laying off workers. Mm. Never. They were always on a on a path, knowing there was attrition, they managed it, meaning that they would bring in a certain number of people every year, knowing that a certain number would retire or go to other careers within two years once they had their licensure work done. Um, so you never heard about layoffs from these size entities. So when you come across a, a you know a year-end article like this, which I think was tough to see, but I believe it's Wall Street Journal. And you're sitting there like, whoa, <laughs> wait a second. Um, all the things that we've been talking about now, you're seeing it even in the largest companies. And I think if you read down into the article, it says, you know, that their, their announcement of the layoffs is, hey, it's time for us to do what we've been telling our clients to do, and we have to cut cost. So shocker to me, just because of who it was, you know, but it lends us to what we've been talking about for a long time now about, you know, what is the real status of the U.S. workforce? So help me understand this, because when I I know a number of accountants, partners in, in I would say anywhere from small to middle to fairly large regional accounting firms. And not once have I heard them say that there is an abundance of accounting people. Uh, abundance of CPAs. In fact, most of them are struggling to get people in the door to actually fill these roles. And I know with one client even, uh, he has trouble getting his monthly reports on time because they don't have enough accountants to actually do the monthly 
monthly totals and get them together. Now you're talking about a, a very large accounting firm laying off people. Is that really going to change anything? Or, I mean, why is this going on? I would think there would be more than enough work for these guys to do that uh, really the, the cutting cost factor shouldn't even be considered. Um, I think that the, the shocker is still who it was, you know, mm -hmm. who it was that's making this announcement. And you're correct. Everything I've heard is the exact same, that the accounting industry specifically is actually going to get worse because they keep saying as these partners want to retire, they don't have people to, you know, take over. Um, they don't have succession plans, believe it or not. <laughs> more things we've been talking about. So, so there's a, there's a problem because there's not enough people coming up in the ranks from the lower levels to come up and actually take over for people who retire. Um, so there's a clear problem there. And then the other big problem with, with somebody like EMY, somebody who came up from a different, uh, path, you know, a smaller firm path mm -hmm. can't take the position of someone at EMY because it's a, there's actually a split. And it's funny, if you look at the top ranked hundred accounting firms and you look at their, you know, supposed revenue, because a lot of them are not, you know, publicly traded. So you don't know the number, right? But there's a vast difference between number four and number five. There <laughs> is a chasm between the size of the, the big four and the rest of the accounting firms below. The big four are usually the guys who are doing the big publicly traded companies on the SEC listings, you know, so their experience level is entirely different than somebody who's from five down. You know? I see. So you're not going to be able to kind of put one and one through four and five through the rest. You're not going to be able to put them all in one bucket. You almost still have to put them in two. Um, so there's definitely still an issue with all of the people below the fifth rank firm. Um, and now you're saying, guess what, guys, there's an issue in the top four, you know, that they're not actually they're they're actually overstaffed. And now they're going to make a correction. So, you know, so I think there's there's a, there's a little bit more to the story because you don't know what else EMY did or tried to do or, you know, why the restructure now. Um, I think you probably have to dive deeper and I'm sure I could speculate as to what it was, but. You know, it's pretty clear when you start looking at that, you say, whoa, that's just a surprise. Like, what else is going on that we just don't know about? Could be a canary in the coal mine, could be a sign of things changing for, for this year. So we're going to have to really watch that. Let's yeah. go on to number 10. So this is one I picked. Of course, me being a car guy, I might own a GM product or two. Uh, <laughs> but I've always found the story of, uh, of GM interesting and... This has been interesting as well because this has really been kind of blowing up in the news news feeds from the end of 2023. Uh, you know, Mary Barra, CEO of GM, has been there now for 10 years, and there really hasn't been a big change at, at GM. You know, they went through their structuring in what was it, 2009 or 2010? Yeah. Um, she came on in 20, well, be 2013, and I remember reading in this article, the difference between stock price when the IPO, when GM relaunched this IPO to now, there's only like a, what, $60 difference, I think, if it's even that. Wow. Um, and you think of all the investment that GM has done. And, and some of these stories, I think, tell a bigger picture. 
uh, and I'm going to make some speculations with this one. EV is not working. If you look across the board in the automotive industry, there's been this big push for EV. It's, a lot of that's been pushed by government regulations because uh, supposedly electric batteries are going to save the world. Uh, I can go into my opinions on that at a later date, but I, I think there, while there is a spot for electric vehicles in this world and there are definitely certain uses for them, they're not going to be the end-all be-all. I think Toyota is probably the one that's really stepped forward and say, you know, we're not going to make huge investments in EV. We're going to focus on hybrid and I think hydrogen technology. And that's the direction they're going to go. Because for all these companies, with the exception of Tesla, and we can talk about why Tesla actually profits in their EV market, but all the other big three automakers are bleeding cash right now because of their EV position because of what they're trying to do. And my expectation is that, you know, while they're saying 2035, they're going to, you know, be fully electric or almost fully electric. I don't see that happening. I don't think that's going to be possible for them. Uh, there's a number of reasons why that, uh, by the way, science kind of dictates and, and also our ability to mine and, and get the materials needed to make this stuff. It's just not there. And I believe you're going to see a major shift if these companies are going to survive to try and figure out the balance between EV technology and internal combustion. And there's going to be some some variable in, in there for that. It's a, it's a daily topic now. Not so much GM, but EV. And, and the, the, the part that kind of leads me back to, you know, supporting this art, you know, supporting this article or this, this topic um, you know, I'm not as big of a car guy. Like I haven't grown up in the automotive industry, but you know, because I get my news feeds from the same place, I don't hear GM ever. I hear Tesla mm -hmm. and Ford and yes, I heard Toyota, but even Toyota doesn't get as much press as the things that I'm reading. And I all, all I hear are Ford and Tesla, you know, and Ford shutting down a lot of their EV lines because their vehicles aren't selling. They're figuring it out. They're showing yeah. that this is going to this is going to kill us. I mean, they're not coming out in the headline and saying this is going to kill us, you know. But they might as well because if they if they keep doing what they're doing, it's going to kill it. You know, you can't sell a, a, a you know a thirty five thousand dollar truck that costs you sixty five thousand dollars to make. <laughs> you just can't do it. Um, and by the way, they're not thirty five thousand. They're a hundred thousand, and it's probably about one hundred thirty or one hundred fifty thousand in actual. Building costs, which is <laughs> I was insane. trying to be nice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you don't hear about GM, and GM was always the one that everybody said this is the United States' largest automaker. You know, back in the day, it was the largest automaker. So for you not to hear about them at all, you know, it's really odd that you just don't have the news, you don't have the same following. Um, and yes, I think the EV is is just an entirely enormous topic with, like you said, the resources that it takes to actually make the batteries. And then nobody's actually talking about the one that always bothered me, which is what do you do with the batteries when they're no good anymore? Mm -hmm. There's no store, you know, nuclear power. Where where do you put all the spent rods when the nuclear power is done? You know, oh, we, don't we have talk a place for that. Huh? It's in a mountain in Colorado. I think we're good there. But <laughs> the yeah. batteries are a little bit different story, and they, they yeah. cause all sorts of other issues. Yeah. Um, just to keep us moving along here, but I, I think this is something we do need to follow um, throughout the mm -hmm. course of this year. 
because this does impact all businesses because transportation, as far as I know, virtually every company has to deal with transportation in some way, shape or form. And transportation costs are going through the roof right now. But let's go on to number eight. And Rich, I know you brought this up in past episodes, uh, but let's talk about WeWork. WeWork uh, was supposed to be the shining star of uh, of how people were going to use commercial property, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then Adam Newman happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, WeWork became a very big story. Um, continuing to be a very big story this year became a big story because even after trying to fix it and ousting the, you know, the, um, the CEO who was running things on, um, we can call, we work like La La Land. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so they finally ousted him and then they tried to give it COVID to actually make things work and they wound up in bankruptcy recently. So, um, I, for me, the story really comes down to, you know, who's minding the shop, you know, who's, who's watching what's going on with these things, because, you know, you go back and look at any of the postings on LinkedIn, anything article wise, everybody was talking about community adjusted EBITDA. Now, so for anybody who's listening, who doesn't know what EBITDA is, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That is what the, those letters stand for. And that commonly is where you build a valuation from. And that number for reality was always negative for WeWork because it's just for spending money like it was nothing. But then they would just adjust it. No reasoning really other than making up numbers. Um, and anybody in the profession who's looked at it now is looking at it going, wow, I can't believe that nobody stopped this guy way earlier and other people just kept giving him money. Like they kept loaning him more, putting more into investment. And then, you know, finally it just was a house of cards. So, um, so really to me, the entire story comes down to who was mining the store. Just goes to show history repeats itself. This is a lot like the dot com bubble and burst of the early 2000s yeah. almost. It's, you could cook the books however you wanted to, and, and people would just look at the numbers, and there was so much positive news. Everyone just assumed that this was the next gold rush. And uh, I think this, the gig economy, we're, we're seeing some transitions there with a lot of different uh, different situations. Now, I will, will also add that right when everything's hitting the fan for WeWork, we also had a, a small change in how people work caused by a very big health issue in this country, well, in the world. So I, I think that just sped the process up. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's definitely going to affect us in the long term, probably more so in larger cities where, again, WeWork has a lot of property that now is going to be sitting vacant. And uh, last I checked, commercial real estate people really don't like property sitting empty without collecting any rent. It's probably not so good. Yeah. Nope. All right, let's go on to number seven. And this one could probably be higher up on the list as well, but uh, this is something I have put down because, again, we're hearing a lot about artificial intelligence. It is becoming the main, uh, I guess, either helper or herder of of business today. Uh, help in some ways where you can utilize artificial intelligence to speed up processes, 
to compile maybe, you know, redundant reports or, or put together information that would normally take a long time to compile. I will put an asterisk by it. Sometimes AI, especially chat GPT, has a tendency to kind of fudge numbers a little bit and make up stuff. So you you can't <laughs> fully, fully trust that your AI is going to be uh, giving you the legit on, on what's going on here. But I will say as AI starts to evolve, especially for small and medium businesses, you really need to be looking at this because there are tools here that I believe once they they get to a point where they are trustworthy and reliable, are going to allow you to save on on labor issues. And it's not so much the labor costs as it is finding the body to fill fill the spot. And you would probably see this too, Rich, in, in accounting. If if you can get the AI dialed in right, maybe the accounting is done, the the basic tasks are done by AI instead of by a person somewhere. Yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely been a lot of strides in accounting and the AI, you know, sort of connection. Um, what what worries me all the time is the fact that I think people have seen, oh well, it's AI and they run instead of walking. You know, they run to use it, and they 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 have to realize, you know, my commentary here, you know definitely have to realize that you still have to watch what's going on. You can't just say, well, it's done because AI took it over and it's off my plate. No, <laughs> you have to watch and see what AI does with it. So for me, I see some of the things that are really showing the efficiencies that can come out of AI, but my concern comes to, you know, you still have to watch it because otherwise, you know, you're going to put things out um, that are definitely not quite correct. Definitely not. And I believe there's also several movies out there that show the effects of AI when you just kind of let it do its own thing. Um, anyone heard of Skynet? Who knows? <laughs> we don't need that kind of living. All right, let's go on. Uh, employees back in the office. We actually talked about this in uh, one of our, I think, November or December episodes that uh Businesses are trying to get people to come back to the office. They're finding out that this whole virtual thing full-time isn't really working that well. And uh, I believe our episode was talking about some of the crazy benefits and perks that companies are trying to implement just to get people to show up at work. And it's not really working too well. Yeah, I think that employers are trying to you know, find a way to get people back in with some, you know, crazy perks that don't necessarily cost them a lot of money, but realistically, you know, this is to me just a big, you know, dollars and cents reset, you know, that people have lived on a 3% growth rate of their, you know, salaries for so long. And then all of a sudden it becomes, look, you know, I can go somewhere else and there's opportunities to do so. So if you want your people back in the office, you know, you got to figure out what is the right balance. You know, what can you give them, you know, to get them to do the way you want to do it? Or what can you concede so they can still do some of what they're doing? So I think the crazy perks are not going to work. You just got to <laughs> figure out the best way to go with your, uh, you know, with your particular employees, how to get them to do what you would like them to do, what makes your business grow the way it's supposed to. And the impact I constantly hear from business owners who do have people working remotely, they just don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and what I mean by that is they don't have a clear way to measure productivity from a person who is not in the office. Now we could say 
they probably don't have a, a good way to measure productivity from somebody who is in the office, but they have the confidence when somebody's sitting in that seat that they can see them working and that they can at least go to them, ask questions. Uh, I know a number of issues with, with some of the virtual workers is, you know, the owner, or the, the boss would try to get a hold of somebody and they couldn't get a response during work hours or they couldn't get a response right away. It might take, you know, maybe several hours for them to get back yes. to it. Well, as a business owner, you kind of have to ask yourself some questions then. Is this person doing their job on the clock or are they doing something else? Right. Now, there's an advantage to flexibility and allowing, you know, people are living at home. It could be taking care of the kids. It could be doing laundry. It could be, you know, getting lunch or whatever it might be. I think there needs to be that flexibility. And I don't think we're ever going to go, you know, for people that have the ability, we're, we're probably not going to go back to in the office full time all the time. But we really have to figure out ways that we measure productivity, especially when that person is not visible in the office or easily accessible. If they're producing, I could really care less what a, what a person does. Um, but when you reach those situations where you just don't know and you're looking at your costs, costs are climbing, revenue doesn't seem to be going up, people just don't seem to be getting the work done, that, that's a pretty good sign that something's got to change. And I think that's that's going to be a big push, especially for the next several years here, is trying to figure out that balance between working in the office and working from home. Agreed. Now we're getting into some of the people stuff. And, and there's always stories behind the people stuff. And <laughs> this is kind of similar to to the whole WeWork thing uh, that we were talking about, Rich, is you know yeah. we put a lot of trust into numbers and what people tell us. And sometimes we look past the things that maybe we should be putting question marks on. But, um, you know, you had added Elizabeth Holmes to the list. Tell us yeah. more about that. Well, uh, if you don't recognize the face, uh, she ran Theranos. She was going to change the way that, you know, lab testing was done for healthcare. Um, and like some of the other people that we're going to talk about in this episode, um, it turned out to be a fraud. You know, um, I'm using that word pretty loosely because I seem to remember that that was not what she was finally charged with. I think she got like a wire, like maybe it was fraud, but it was wire fraud or something. They didn't actually get her, I don't think, on the lab testing part of it. I think it was some other way that they, you know, wound up putting her in jail. But, um, <laughs> but she went to jail finally this year for something that they've been fighting over for years because she raised a ton of money. And again, it comes back to, you know, who was minding the store? Um, so it, I think it's pretty funny that if I remember right, Forbes had a cover on one of its issues that was Adam Newman from WeWork, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, Sam Bankman-Fried, who we'll get to, I think, <laughs> at some point in the rest yeah. of this list. Right? And I can't remember who the fourth one was. But they had it was like an up and coming episode, like these three are three out of four of the people we just talked about. <laughs> so, you know, it comes back to me also, like who was minding the store? Who's paying attention to what these people are actually doing? Um, you know, with this one, I, I had an article that I had read that I shared with everybody. And I said, you know, what would have happened if Theranos had a CFO? If they had a chief mm -hmm. financial officer, you know why didn't they have a chief financial officer, you know? And it probably became because, you know, they didn't want anybody to know what they were doing. So the person who usually reports the numbers was absent at this company. So, you know, 
big key factor for me for this year. Yeah, I and there seems to be a pattern with these, and of course, you know, until the end of time, we're always going to find somebody who's a snake oil salesperson, a huckster that's going to, you know, find some way to attract a bunch of people in. But it amazes me. Uh, especially for the three people that you mentioned, uh, I, again, I don't remember the fourth one either, but I, I remember reading that article is they all kind of have very similar personalities. They're dealing with things that are new and exciting. And I believe a lot of investors don't really understand. Um, all of them kind of have fuzzy or questionable accounting practices, which uh, you would think would alert some people. But again, it's that whole gold rush mentality. The emotion takes over the the rational side of things. And I mean, we should do a whole whole art, uh, podcast about emotion over rationality because most people don't make decisions on on rational thought. So this is a perfect example of somebody who is. I mean, she really was trying to be the next Steve Jobs. She was kind of changing her personality to kind of match that. You know, the you can kind of see in the the image here, she's wearing a black turtleneck. And, you know, she was trying to do things to kind of give herself that trendy kind of cool tech vibe look. And that's kind of what you see with some of these. Now, uh, we'll talk about the next one. Uh, <laughs> there was nothing cool about his look. He was like a stoner college dude. and. All of a sudden, crypto pops up. And as I mentioned, we're going to have a, a guest rolling out next week who's going to talk a little bit more about crypto and blockchain. But Sam Bank Bankman-Fried, uh, this guy was a multi-billionaire almost overnight. Uh, he had created his own tech fund uh, using crypto. He created a, his own cryptocurrency. And I guess this is another one where you would say, where was the CFO in this? Now, did I believe he did have a CFO, right? But I think, I think so. the CFO was helping cook the books because so. they were basically moving money from one pot to another, but that money really was not real money. Yeah. Uh, you know, this one really comes down to, I, they're going to be talking about this one forever. Um, again, fiduciary responsibility. Um, when you have that, you know, when you take investor money, when you take client money and you're supposed to be putting it into an account that's earmarked for them, then that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't do anything else. It's no, there's no gray area. There's no question mark. If that money was supposed to go into an account and be held there, okay, then it has to be there and held there, you know? And so when he dipped in and started taking client money and investing it in like venture capital or whatever, we'll find out that he actually did. I mean, some of it's already out and I'm not going to go too far into those details, but, you know, he was essentially taking that money and playing with it. So, you know, that's just a no, no, you know, so he's getting everything he's supposed to get. So I just wish they would have caught it earlier because I think, unfortunately, it gets tainted with what could be good as we'll talk about in our other episodes where we talk about crypto and, and blockchain you know we're going to talk about the benefits of it and he just tainted it with a bad you know a bad headline exactly well i think another thing to watch here that might be a bit of a red flag he set the the corporation up in the bahamas not in the us and i believe he did that because the the rules in the Bahamas, I believe, were a little bit, well, I think a lot more lax than, than they were going to be here as far as regulations go. And that was also another issue that, you know, maybe you need to consider where people are setting up 
their business. Now, that doesn't mean that if there's a business set up in the Bahamas that's not legit and and all good and whatnot, there are many companies that are set up there as well. But it should cause to pause when, you know, really one of the financial centers of the world is the United States. Why are you putting it in the Bahamas? I would also yeah. question if he had put it in the Grand Caymans. So <laughs> there's <Yeah>. that. <laughs> Let's go on to the next one. And again, in our our people in business, uh, as far as news stories, I don't think you can pin one news story on on Elon Musk. Uh, It was actually 2022 when he bought Twitter, which is now X. Uh, But, you know, he basically started the EV car revolution and he figured out how to get those darn things to actually make money and and actually innovate battery technology to to make what improvements can be made on them. Uh, so a lot of credit in that area to him. And, uh, you know, some people argue, well, he, technically he didn't create Tesla. Tesla was a company beforehand. It was a struggling upstart. And, and he had taken, I believe, his money that he got from PayPal and started pumping it in there. And then eventually, Uh, pushed the original owners out and kind of took it over because he saw a grander plan Mm -hmm. for it. Uh, But that's really kind of where people got to know who Elon Musk was. And for many, many, many years, people were very happy with Elon Musk. Well, then he goes and buys Twitter and he makes some comments. He makes some changes and he's not on on the side of the people that uh, typically buy EVs anymore. They still seem to buy them. I, I, I guess, you know, cancel culture doesn't work with, with an EV, but um, yeah, that's, and that's just some of the things. I mean, he's SpaceX, he's working on robotics, he's working on yeah. uh, implanted AI. He's trying to wire your brain differently. I'm not so keen about that. Uh, but he, he is really an influential person. And, and even for all the money he spent on X, he is still the richest person in the United States anyway, at like $254 billion. That's with a B. Um, so he must be doing something right. Yeah. I think that what he's trying to accomplish, which I don't know if there's one particular thing that, you know, is like the common goal for him. I'm not really sure. Um, and I saw somebody else was writing an article the same way that, you know, what is he really trying to accomplish? You know, is he, does he have an ultimate goal of what he's trying to get to? Um, but I think that controversy is going to keep him in the news for a long time. So he's got a definite longevity there. 2023 was a big year still. He's still, you know, all over the EV. Um, and I think that, I'm hoping that the rest of this stuff is just kind of touching the surface. You know, let's put it this way. You know, I always looked at Apple versus versus uh, Windows, right? Yep. And, you know, my big thing for Apple, and one of the reasons I'm a huge fan is just the battery life. You know, the battery life on an Apple is just that much more superior than something else. My opinion. Um, so when I look at Elon Musk, I like to think that the battery work that he's done will be the thing that will last because that will translate to other things. The thing that always interested me was when they started talking about roof solar and the translation of the battery power to a solar power on the rooftop. Mm -hmm. To me, that's where all the innovation goes. And at that point, it doesn't matter whether it's Elon Musk or anybody else. You start talking about those types of things, that's sustainability to me. And that turns me into, okay, I really like what you're trying to accomplish. Yep, it's he definitely has. 
I think where he he thinks differently than most of us do. You know, I think uh, when people see the episode that we're doing on cryptocurrency, they'll see kind of where maybe our thinking limitations show up because of how we were brought up and, and what we've dealt with over time. But yeah. um, he seems to think in a bigger picture. I think that's what what makes him who he is. He's 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 one step ahead of a lot of other people on this. So it's going to be uh, interesting to watch over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. We will continue to follow on X and see what happens in in 2024, 2023 was interesting with that, but we'll see if that's something that continues to go or dies on the vine. Don't know where that one's going to go. Let's go to number two. So this is talking about labor shortages. And this kind of circles back to uh, some of the other talks we've had on here. But the bottom line is we're still short on help. We still don't have enough people to fill the jobs that we have. And Regardless of what recession uh, symptoms are popping up, it seems like labor is invincible. It, we just don't have enough bodies to fill the the jobs that are out there. Yeah, I think this has been a common theme, definitely for us, um, and definitely for what we've been reading for 2023. Um, I think this is something that, as I think we've alluded to, you know, you're looking at potentially decades of being short um, and not having a, you know, clear solution for the problem. Um, And I think different industries are going to hit it at different times. Some of them are already seeing it. And that's why it's such a popular topic. It's, it's really a sign of where we, uh, you know, not to get political on this, and we have to look at our immigration policies and how we bring people into the country. Now, I will say right now, it's not the way we should be doing it. It's not working. And we need to find ways to bring more bodies in that are capable of doing not only, I would say, the entry-level tasks, but also more of the technical skills. We we don't have enough engineers. We don't have enough doctors. We don't have enough, a lot of skilled trades. So there's, there's huge opportunities here. Um, you know, with dealing with some of the immigration issues we have, but, you know, it's going to change how we bring, uh, how we do that and how we bring people into the country. Uh, that said, I believe there's also a lot of people that are capable of working and that there are certain systems that prevent people from being able to move past maybe the situation they're in right now. And that, again, is a whole nother issue for a whole nother time. But there's really things that business owners need to do and look at differently going forward over the next several decades if they're hoping to fill key positions in their company and keep them viable. And some of that's going to come through automation. Some of that's going to come through things like AI, technology. Uh, Still, a lot of it's going to be required by a workforce, actual people doing a job. So we need to consider that as we as we move forward into 2024. And we'll, we'll see where that goes. And number one, I put this as number one because there are so many different directions and so many different companies, I believe, are getting caught up in this. But Bud Light, and to be clear, I do not drink Bud Light. I'm more of a whiskey and scotch guy myself. So this is not something that would affect me so much, but I know it affected a lot of people. And why I think this is a new story, and I believe there are other companies cross the board that that are getting caught up in this. I could have put Disney in here as well. Um, There are are numerous other companies, but I think the lesson to learn here is 
know your damn audience. And sometimes appealing to a different group of people isn't always the right thing to do. And it can cost you. And I, I think, you know, the Bud Light is the perfect example of they took a product that was already in some ways had reached a maturity level and, and was kind of flattening out. And then they said, well, we're going to reinvigorate this product by appealing to a completely new audience. I remember the chief marketing officer, whoever it was over Bud Light, you know, talking on a, a podcast much like this going, you know, Bud Light drinkers are fratty kind of truck driver, blue collar people. And, and we just don't see the need for that anymore. So we're going to change the brand. And lo and behold, then comes the whole Dylan Mulvaney thing where uh, you have somebody who is a trans person who is now promoting a drink that is typically drunk by truck drivers and frat boys. <laughs> <laughs> and then to their surprise, there's a bit of a backlash. Um, but like I said, I don't think they're the only ones. I think there's um, unfortunately... In big business, there tends to be a lot of pandering that goes on to try and get new clients or, or try to appeal to a certain base that they think would would help them in, in getting new sales. And unfortunately, what you often do is you eliminate the core audience that pays for your product already. And to me, that's the bigger issue here. And that's something that any company should learn. Does it mean you can't take a political stance on something? Definitely not. If that political stance aligns with your core audience, it might actually help you increase sales and increase revenue. If it goes against everything that your core audience is about, you might want to question whether or not that's a wise decision to do. What's your thoughts? Uh, you know, it, these these stories that came out over the last year or two, um, they were just shocking. And the reason I say that is I remember trying to do things with companies that had, you know, big brands. Um, case in point, we had a contract with GE over, and it was literally a small division of GE. It was their alarm division. And we had a contract with them to sell their product. And majority of the contract had nothing to do with our performance. It had to do with protecting the GE logo and brand. <laughs> so contract like this to talk about our side, which is like this size. So I can't imagine that I, I can't imagine what had to go into getting that ad even out that would tarnish a brand the way that it did. And it wasn't just Bud Light, it was across the board. So it's it, to your headlines per you know point, it has to do with, you know, advertising and, and marketing. And it comes down to, you know, knowing your brand, knowing your audience, like you said, absolutely hundred percent. I mean, so who allowed that to happen that, you know, left the, the Bud Light brand, which is, multi-billion dollars exposed <laughs> in such a way <laughs> that makes you say who allowed that to happen you know i go back to my who's watching the store who's minding the store it's a key failure of leadership in my opinion because mm -hmm. this is an example of we delegate something and we trust that person to do a job 
but we never verify that what they're doing is in the right direction. So we can go back to core values. We can go back to mission vision. There's a lot of core components on here that obviously drop the ball, whether it's Disney, whether it's it's uh, Bud Light, whether it's any other company that's kind of taken a, we'll call it a trendy stance to a particular social topic and then realized that it didn't align well with, with who was actually using their product. And this... This is something that really every company out there needs to be aware of. I don't care if you're a company of 10 or if you're a company of of 10,000. There is always that trust and verify that needs to go into leadership. You need to really say, does this align with who we are? Does this align with what we do? Who's checking on this? Who's signing off before this goes live? And do we all agree with this? Does this all point in the direction we want to go? And it's so easy because, as you know, Rich, I mean, we're both business owners. You get busy with a thousand different things. And to be able to hand something off to somebody else and say, okay, they're just going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it can be a very refreshing thought. And it works well when it works well. It, it doesn't yeah. work, though, when there isn't that back check to make sure what they're doing is actually what you want them to do. And then they go ahead and do something. And now you amp your stress load up tenfold because they've done it the wrong way. And now you've got to cover their tracks. Mm -hmm. So this is something to me that, and this is part of the reason why I put it as number one, because any business can get caught up in this. Any business can see something that seems like a good idea, but really doesn't align or, or follow through with, with what their, their core audience wants or needs. Now, if you want to change your core audience, by all means, go ahead and do that. Understand the risk, though, because you have to basically create a whole new market and open the doors and understand that the moment you go one direction, you're going to leave somebody behind. Right. And if you leave too many people behind, then are you going to remain profitable? So now getting back into the financial side, there's a lot of factors that you need to weigh here. And I, I just believe that Companies should be watching what's going on and learning from it and in some ways capitalizing on it. Yeah, the, you know, it, it, it's just, to me, the other thing is, you know, you really do have to stay as focused as possible. And when you're not going to be focused and you have other people that are supposed to fill your focus, you know, uh, I'm, I'm saying this the wrong way. You know, we talk about an airplane and when we talk yep. about airplanes that crash, it's because of multiple failures, you know, backup systems that didn't work. When you get to right. a brand this size, you know, you have the backup systems. But as you've said, you should, small, you, should <laughs> you should, and they didn't, which is a little crazy, right? But then to your point, the smaller companies don't have that infrastructure. Smaller companies are even more at risk to this because, at least in my mind, you know, the dollars might have been bigger, but as a percentage, you know, on a smaller company, it puts people out of business, you know, Definitely. it kills reputations. So, you know, so this is, this is very concerning and I'm actually very glad that you made it, you know, number one. Well, it's, so as you're talking about that, it, it just goes to, you know, what most marketing thinks is, well, it gets people talking about our brand. And they always used to say, well, if somebody's talking about your brand, you know, 
there, no news is bad news in some situations. So creating right. controversy gets people talking about it, maybe gets people interested, maybe gets people using your brand. The problem is that's not working now. That doesn't work 100% of the time. And you're taking a pretty big risk if you're taking something as controversial as what Bud Light did, rolling it out, especially looking at the audience, the current audience that uses the product and not being conscious of their belief systems and, and what they want. So yeah, that, I, I do believe that's that's why this one's the number one story of the year and, and why a lot of companies should look at it. So now the question is, do you guys agree with us? I'm sure there are people we have missed or there are stories we have missed that maybe you thought we should have been talking about here. Uh, feel free. Let us know. We'd be happy maybe to talk about them later on in 2024. So we'd be happy to to address that. And who knows if maybe if you want to come on and talk to us about it, love to have an interview with you. So Rich, how can people get a hold of you? Best way is by email. Send me a note at rvaltry at veltrygroup.com. And you can get a hold of me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. This has been Books and the Biz, our first one for 2024. You can check out all our 2023 episodes. I believe there are 27 of them sitting out there. If you go to booksandbiz.com, that is B-O-O-K-S, the letter N, B-I-Z.com. And Rich, we will see you in the interviews that start up next week. Take care. Good.